Welcome to Dean's Council, a podcast aimed at supporting university leaders holding one of the more critical jobs on a university campus. Your panelists, Ken Kring, Jim Ellis, and Dave Eikenberry, engage in conversation with highly accomplished deans and other academic leaders regarding the ever-complex array of challenges that deans face in one of the loneliest and most unique jobs in the academy. Prior to 2021, our guest, Holly Rader, had been a clinical professor of the Kellogg School at Northwestern University for the previous seven years. There she was a part of Sally Blount's leadership team, serving as managing director of education and also as an associate dean for academic and faculty initiatives. During her time at Kellogg, Holly developed an engaged constituency-based leadership style to drive change style she honed while driving several initiatives for Kellogg, including implementing the school's first fully online non-degree programs, drafting Kellogg's advanced management program, and leading the creation of a new program known as SPARK, an innovative teaching incubator. That approach to leadership, combined with those previous learning experiences, informed how Holly approached her new role as Dean of Quinnipiac School of Business in July of 2021. Of course, this new start was during the midst of the pandemic, no less. In this episode, we hear how Holly is using this inclusive, engaging leadership style to better involve faculty as well as all constituencies on objectives such as positioning her business school for the future, breaking new ground on a building, and also leading faculty to strategically embrace a holistic approach to education by addressing the human-based social skills Holly feels will be crucial to future business leaders schools which prepare students far beyond traditional business acumen. Holly Rader, it's great to have you here on our uh, program today. Uh, Holly's the uh, Dean of the Quinnipiac School of Business, joined, I guess, just two years ago, uniquely first-time Dean in a new institution, having been courted by Judy Olian, who the Dean's Council team all know well and have extremely high regard for. I know your provost, Deb Leibowitz, and no, she too is quite remarkable. So while you were recruited by, you know, an extraordinary uh, leadership team, you know, nevertheless, your vision and values were clearly aligned as you started as a first-time dean, having interviewed through the pandemic on Zoom calls, there must have been some dissonance between what you heard and what you found when you started two years ago. We'd love to hear what you found and how you how you learned uh, what you learned in your early days of transition. Thank you, Ken, and good to be here with you and and Dave uh, today in the conversation. I've had a chance to listen to all of the Dean's Council episodes and learned a lot from the the others who came before me. And I'm glad to be able to have this conversation. As you said, two years in, in a way, still in, in the thick of it. Uh, you know, a lot of the other interviewees had it ha- are looking in, in some hindsight. And I'm excited to be here in the middle of change and uh, and to share what what experiences and insights I've gleaned from that. As you say, I interviewed in a pandemic all by Zoom and discovered when I when I arrived a spectacularly beautiful campus that looked even better in reality than than in its its pictures. And I also found uh, a wonderful 
place where challenges can meet opportunities, so to speak. Uh, you know, you talked about being in a pandemic and some of what is reality, especially in the in the Northeast, is a, a demographic shift of declining undergraduate enrollment. The challenges of community post-pandemic where people had been forcibly isolated in the pandemic and, and really shouldering a lot of the responsibility of continuing education via Zoom that, that fell on the shoulders of the faculty. A university that in 2019 had its Carnegie classification changed from a regional institution to a national institution. And those are all in some ways challenges and in many ways opportunities for us to, to be distinctive as we we go into the future. I, I'd love to tell a story of something that I noticed during my interview that that is part of what we're building on as as we lead into that future. Like us on Zoom today, during my interview, there there was um, a presentation to the faculty, staff, and student community in the school. So it was many, many pages of of Zoom squares. And at some point in my presentation, I, I asked of the faculty, but for time and the current resource uh, constraints uh, from, from what's going on in the pandemic, who of you have an idea for research or teaching that you'd love to implement? And this sea of hands came up and I scrolled through some pages and I saw this sea of hands and enthusiasm and passion. And that that was probably a pivotal moment for me in wanting to be at Quinnipiac is to see you, you, that would take decades to build that kind of cultural DNA around innovation, the commitment to, you know, high impact education and, um, and research. And I, I have loved coming here and helping uh, be a champion for the faculty and being able to, to build on that passion. Holly, you mentioned, uh, community you know you you met everybody through uh, <laughs> this poster board of, of little squares um and each of the communities that we think about in the school whether it's students or staff or faculty i i tend to think about students and how how the adversity of you know withdrawing from a social environment you know the inability to get great mentoring opportunities all those things are a challenge, but I, I, I believe over the last two years, you've tried to address some of those issues as you, as you form your own pathway as a dean. Can you share some of that? Oh, you're right. And, you know, it, it started with the faculty in the summer, you know, students were on summer break and, you know, taking mm -hmm. study abroad and, and remote learning, summer internships. So I began with the faculty and, you know, very much part of how I, you know, how I lead is a lot of stakeholder engagement, a lot of listening. And I met with every single faculty member in a one-on-one, -on -one, usually going to their office. I, I didn't want it to be dean-centric. I wanted to go to their spaces and learn about them in their, in their spaces. And you learn all sorts of things from the office anthropology of that, about their families, um, about the, the artifacts that capture their passions and their imaginations. I also met with every single staff member and I, I did a lot of listening of what were people's hopes and dreams, what were their frustrations. But I also convened small group conversations, small group lunches. So it wasn't 
it wasn't just one-on-ones. There was an occasion to bring people together and to hear them talking with each other. And that began normalizing coming back to campus and being in person with one another. And, you know, I, I invite you to think back to summer of 21. People weren't used to being in a room with each other. We were we still had a mask requirement. Uh, but I wanted to I, I knew that the novelty of having a new dean and an outsider that people hadn't mentioned might draw people into those community gatherings. And and it, and it sure did. And it helped people begin to reconnect. And then taking as, as, as many opportunities as we can to be inclusive, but also inspire people being together. Then with students, again, it was trying to take advantage of some novel opportunities that would help students get acclimated to being in interaction with others and with others across generations. You know, one of one of the great opportunities we have is to build on our community of alumni, right? We we have phenomenally placed alumni in, I mean, we're, we're located between New York City and Boston. So y- you couldn't imagine a better geographical spot, uh, particularly around uh, areas of finance and venture funds. And so, we, we, you know, we've long punched above our weight in alumni placement with senior folks at BlackRock, Lord Abbott, Goldman, JP Morgan, for example. So, taking advantage of that and knowing that they want to connect with younger students, they want to mentor and creating those occasions where we're bringing groups together. The the students are interested in learning about those firms and careers and how you get started using the occasion of our global asset management education forum. So you had asked something I discovered that I didn't know much about in advance, and that was that we host the world's largest student-run finance conference, and it's in Manhattan, other than in the pandemic. And using that gathering in 2023, back in person, uh, to convene alumni and students from Quinnipiac and students from all around the world who come to that, uh, that event. The long story short is not wasting a moment to simultaneously figure out the strategy ahead while also building community. You talk with more specificity about the strategic planning itself, sort of how you've done it, what you've developed, and sort of what the ultimate product looks like and how it gets deployed. Absolutely. You know, I think this comes from just what was my overall approach as I came in. And I had, you know, three three pillars of what I thought was needed for what, what would be the future of business education as we look out at 2030 and beyond. And I saw that that, that was going to need a, a holistic kind of education, not just technical skills, but interpersonal skills, the human, human skills. It was going to need innovation, which taps into that DNA you know, the sea, the sea of hands, um, and that it was going to need high impact relationships, high impact structures, right? For example, a, a new building, in addition to the, the kinds of relationships I've just discussed. Um, but how to get there was going to need a, a strategic plan. It also needed uh, a different team in the dean's office. And, and so part of the, the phasing of it was to recruit some exceptional talent, including an associate dean who started her career as a McKinsey strategy consultant. 
And she's been integral, uh, Dr. Punamarora, integral in leading us through a strategic planning process that has involved faculty, students, advisory council. We're um, about to work with the deans across schools, other alumni groups, starting with an ambition, not not even a, yet a vision, right? But what is our ambition? And and it started with an ambition to be an exemplar in business education for for all all groups. You know, it's worth noting that business education, especially at the undergraduate level, is often, often overlooked, yet a significant part of the higher ed landscape. 20% of undergraduate degrees issued in the United States are in business degrees. It eclipses the size of the MBA market. Uh, so while we've had and do have fabulous graduate programs, the undergraduate opportunity and place to plant a stake as being an exemplar is there. And also for uh, non-traditional or the lifelong learners, the executive uh, executive education, uh, which was also a natural for me having you know more than 20 years of experience in a, executive education. So starting with that ambition, inviting people to push back, edit it, um, you know, presenting it more as a hypothesis and inviting people to have debate and, and dialogue about it. And then from that, a vision, that updated mission that's been getting a lot of editing and, and wordsmithing with different stakeholders. But key pieces of that remain this concept of holistic education, that it isn't just business acumen, which I think is table stakes. I think it has to go beyond uh, business acumen and being able to, to leverage the rich resources of liberal arts education, engineering, you know, journalism and communication, health sciences, what's possible at, at a comprehensive institution, but where you can major and, and minor across schools, which, you know, doesn't, doesn't happen all the time. So it really enables students to really bring to life that holistic piece. And from that mission, uh, we will work on a set of initiatives and priorities and build out the metrics and what analytics will go around them. Great. So you've, you've been in the chair for two years. Holly, as you reflect back on that, that run, and you've already touched on this to some degree, but could you highlight for those who are listening, who you know, either contemplating a first job or in the midst of changing to a new institution like you were. But what are the two or three things that have worked really well that in terms of it was a part of your style and it and it's really helped you? And then what are some things that maybe didn't work so well that could be pointers for those following behind? Well, I think that's that's a great question. And, and one that, um, you know, being in, again in the thick of it, uh, I'd love to answer the question again in a few years because I might have a different, a different answer. Right, right. Uh, I, I think things that have worked most well and that have been critical are the community engagement. All of all of that time in in one on ones. You know, I think about Shri's interview with you and how she spoke about the time she committed to external relations. Well, I had to, I had to do that internally and externally. Right, and it's absolutely paid off. So, for example, one of those external conversations is with an alum, managing partner of an accounting firm, 
And it was in that conversation two summers ago, it was July of 21, talking about how blockchain was changing the practice of accounting. And you flash forward two years later, in a couple of weeks, I have a faculty member starting who is focused on blockchain and interdisciplinary applications across departments. That came from that alumni conversation and is absolutely keeping us on the frontier of um, business education. So that that would be one that that time. Mm-hmm. I think the second is the sticking to my knitting around strategy metrics and, and analytics, having a big picture view, being able to keep an eye on the big picture and where we're going strategically and planting the needed seeds for that strategy while simultaneously keeping an eye on the operational and um, details that needed to that that needed to change. And that can often be part of the, I think, a great challenge is you can get easily distracted entirely by the day-to-day or what I sometimes call the whack-a-mole that absolutely needs your time and can distract you from where are you going strategically. And I put a lot of um, intentionality around making sure that there's that time and those activities that advance the strategy. I, I think the third is trying to, it's related to stakeholders, but it really is embracing that you don't do this alone, that you there's a team, we've promoted people, you know, we promoted an administrative assistant to a director level in the school as part of this change. That that it is inspiring to see that kind of professional opportunity for someone, um, but it's also creating capacity so that it isn't, uh, you know, it, it it shouldn't be the dean doing it. The dean is is ideally enabling others to do their good work. And that's also included a lot of faculty, right. what some places might call faculty governance, or it's faculty collaboration and respecting and empowering them more to own parts of what we're doing. When we, if, if we have time to talk about how we're planning for a new building, that's a great example of encouraging faculty to take on the voice and the imagination of the future. And, and they seem to love it. No, we want to be sure not to bury that lead. You're building a new building, and that's a that's really a wow. I, there are very few new buildings being built post-pandemic. I'd love to hear your thoughts on both the challenges and actually some of the opportunities of building a new building uh, today. I'm thrilled we're building a new building. It was an extraordinary vote of confidence from our board of trustees to approve this project oh, and our leadership. Uh, that we were able to break ground earlier this year, and I didn't have a particular fundraising threshold to do that. So that that is an extraordinary gift from the leadership and the, the trustees. The great opportunity is exactly that. It is post-pandemic. So I, I, I look at other buildings that were built and open not too long ago, and they they had very different space usage and purpose. And, you know, all those, think about all those kind of cubicle farms because we wanted open workspaces and people aren't aren't drawn to those in the same way that they might have five or six years ago. So first, it's a chance to build really around what are the needs of 
the students and the faculty uh, to come. So we're already thinking about the students who are going to be joining us in 2027, 2030, you know, the current, you know, 12 and 13 year olds, and not just what what careers they're going to go into, but, you know, what what sort of learning spaces do they want to have? And using the planning of that building, you know, tying back to community, how is the planning of that building itself a way to strengthen our community and, and bring folks back to campus? And it it takes a lot of time and a lot of intentionality. There were surely many, many decisions that would have been far easier unilaterally than to have town halls, to have we probably had 20 plus focus groups in the initial uh, plan of how many spaces of what kind. And we're in the middle of another set of those focus groups as we build out the interiors and how is space oriented and, you know, how do, how do we make furniture accessible and how do we create agility in, in those spaces? And those focus groups have occasioned absolutely important conversations that are connecting people Take our, we're building a bigger version of the marketing behavioral science lab that we have right now, eye trackers and the the latest software for research that's relevant, not just for marketing, but for management, psychology, sociology. And so bringing together people from all around campus to plan that space sparked research collaboration ideas. And so using every every moment to, uh, to to do that. Building a building is also begs questions about how do people use and move in space and how can that positively shape their experience? For example, it's very important that we have a place where you can grab a cup of coffee or a beverage or a grab and go so that, you know, the business ethos is the meeting in groups. It's 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 very interactive. It, they're the back of the napkin business plans that you do. When I first saw plans from the architects, it had the dean suite front and center when you enter the building. So you have this majestic entry, you have this beautiful um, gathering space, a crossroads for the community, and then the, and then the dean suite. And this was a unilateral um, decision that that dean suite needs to get kicked up to a different location. That that primary space should be for students. And that's going to be an advising space that brings together career advising and academic advising. And that it's so inviting to students. It's very clear of where you go to get mentoring, to get assistance. Uh, and, and again, will change how people use that space. If those students had to find some place up on the second floor, they might not make it. And we want them to to be in those conversations. Holly, a few minutes ago, you mentioned metrics and you mentioned you're a big proponent of them. What kind of metrics do you like to monitor? And then how do those metrics uh, relate to your strategic priorities? And we're building out what would be the, the dashboard for the school. You know, the first, when I came in, I came in and clearly identified five priorities. So whatever the plan, the, the bit of strategic plan that began in 2019, a five-year plan, mm-hmm. you know, shortly that, after the adoption of that plan, there was a pandemic. And, and so that, that plan is good guidance, uh, but the priorities needed to be enrollment. Mm-hmm. And that led itself to some very clear metrics from top of the funnel all the way through matriculation. 
it led to not just the metrics, but what are your benchmarks? And some of those benchmarks are our own history, our own history pre-pandemic, competitive peers. The second broad area had to do with the overall, let's call it the the business model that we were primarily an institution focused as, as a business school, focused on graduate and undergraduate programs. It led to building out of executive education. And within 14 months of my arrival, we delivered our first custom exec ed program. So the metrics there are going to be around the corporate partnerships, around the the volume of learners that we can now reach because we um, are working with adults in executive positions. And of course, alternative sources of of revenue diversifies the, the revenue base for the institution. We also had community and morale as part of that. Those those metrics have been, you can look at attendance at events. We're really trying to look at how we're seeing cultural change, some of the values, and external reputation, external relations. So looking at earned media, I think these are pretty, pretty standard. Holly, in our closing moments, we'd love to hear how all of this shapes your perspective on where's business education going for Quinnipiac and and the field in general? I think business education needs to go to a place where we we recognize that, you know, today's today's young folks, when those 12 and 13 year olds, when they go out into the world, they're going to have job titles like metaverse planner and algorithm bias auditor. And in that we need to be able to have a curriculum and an experience that enables them to thrive in rapidly changing environments. And and it's changing technologically, it's economically, um, culturally. And in in order to navigate that, they're going to need what what I've been referring to as that holistic combination of uh, the technical skills and the human skills that set us apart. I think business education is a very competitive um, space, but also a space with so much, so much opportunity. People are really interested in combining, you know, deep passions and what they might have learned um, as a as a sociology major or as a history major with the practical applied skills that you get out of business education. And Quinnipiac's a phenomenal place to do that. You know, in in your introduction, you spoke about the leadership at Quinnipiac and the alignment of of values. One of the things that the Provost Leibowitz and I immediately aligned around was the importance of interdisciplinary education. And again, Quinnipiac being a, a pretty unique place to be able to bring that to life. It's also a pretty unique place to be the School of Business Dean because our president is Judy Olian. And, you know, Judy's Judy's something of a legend in business education. And uh, I actually thought it was a remarkably plum opportunity to be able to be the dean at the school where Judy is the president. And it's it's been wonderful to have her as a potential resource for guidance to learn from her experiences. I spoke about the AACSB Dean's Conference, and at that conference this year, she was part of a panel of the View from the Presidency, 
And what a great source of pride to see your president as the exemplar um, for that. But I got to tell you, people came out of the woodwork. People I had never met uh, came out of the woodwork at that conference. People from AACSB, people from other schools of business who are now deans to just say, you know, do you know, I worked on projects with Judy and they changed my career or Mm -hmm. people who are now deans who said, Judy, Judy hired me in my first academic position. So what a great blessing to be here and to truly be a place where opportunities meet all of those challenges that that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Holly. What a great conversation. Really appreciated, enjoyed, and learned from your contribution here today. I know others will as well. On behalf of Dave and Jim, we're delighted that you joined us. I'm delighted to have been here and to have this conversation. You, you gave me the gift of being able to step back and reflect after two years and while the play is still going. Absolutely, Holly. Wonderful. Well, best wishes as you uh, as you move ahead. So, gee, I was really impressed by the the breadth of the conversation, what she brought in terms of both real-time experience, but also insights, not just strategic, mm-hmm. but her values, her persistence, you know, her her humanity that she brings. I mean, it's really remarkable. You think about it. She, yep. she joined this university two years ago from a from afar. Yeah. Did it during the zoo, you know, during the Zoom era and has earned the kind of credibility from the board level to the faculty and staff level to make the kind of initiatives that she's made. Really, really remarkable. Right. I was really struck by her, um, she uses word insightfulness, and and I totally agree with that, Ken. I she she's really forward thinking in her views. This notion of of how community is so critical to the success of her organization, given the stressors that, frankly, all of us have gone through, but um, how she's really leaning into that, whether it's through curriculum or building design or what have you, really, really interesting. And and, and again, another, I, I just had a couple of things. Uh, she used the word whack-a-mole, and it came up in the context of you know, keeping your eye downfield when you've got little fires erupting daily. And that is such a key leadership trait that as a successful dean, we all need to have. Those little those little distractions aren't so little and they're quite frequent. And they can, if we're not careful, they can be consuming and, and really lead to this whack-a-mole world. But I think the great deans out there have the ability or the capability to rise above that, get those issues, of course, dealt with, but continue to work on the downstream goals and aspirations. A really, really insightful comment. I thought her other key thing that as a as a new leader two years into the role is her focus on, I think she used the word enabling others, which is shorthand for she's building her team. And as a new dean, you cannot do it yourself. 
you've got to find ways of building a cohort of, of people around you that can can drive forward. It's I, I you know, I kind of used the analogy of a coach, you know, where it's a team effort. But a lot of times the dean is not on the field. You know, it's the researchers, it's the teachers, it's the staff members who actually are on the field. We are, we're on the sidelines and, and it's, the, it's the role of that coach to help shape that and, and enable those team players to, uh, to really be successful. Super, super sharp insights that she's brought to her game. Wonderful. I mean, it's interesting you have to appreciate the quality of understudy yeah. with Sally Blount, yeah. who was who was a dean following, you know, uh, not immediately following, following Don Jacobs, you know, Absolutely, sort of in the yeah. era that was a very centralized leadership style. And Sally's yep. mantra was uh, building of a community and the distribution of mm-hmm. faculty governance. And Holly, mm-hmm. no doubt, picked up you know, from that mentorship as well. That's a neat insight, Ken. What a wonderful, uh, wonderful session. Great job. Great, great discussion. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dean's Council. This show is supported in part by Corn Ferry, leaders in executive search. Dean's Council was produced in Boulder, Colorado by Joel Davis of Analog Digital Arts. For a catalog of previous shows, please visit our website at deanscouncil.com. If you have any feedback for us, please let us know by sending an email to feedback at deanscouncil.com. And finally, please hit follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so that you can automatically receive our latest show.